0: with worship, if you want to find your way to your seat, if you want to stand with us, if you want to, um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this space. Thank you for um, an opportunity to worship you. Thank you for making a way to the Father, Lord, that we can connect with you, God, that we're not separate from you anymore. God, we just, um, Jesus, thank you so much. For your sacrifice of love so that we can be new to the father and god i just pray that you bless our time here this morning god that we would just enjoy singing songs to you god remembering your faithfulness remembering your goodness lord um we love you jesus in your name i pray amen, amen.
1: came and on to say.
0: emotions so grown-ups you can still sing with you want if you want with us so remember our moves go what are we gonna do our praise your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise hands up high. we love you Jesus ever be on our lips ready two three four your praise will ever be on my lips
1: ever be on my your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.
0: woo Jesus is awesome. All right, y'all, you can follow Mr. Andrew to your classrooms. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the service. Lord, I pray that you bless Will as he's going to teach us the word. God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and revelation as we look to your word. We want to know you more, Jesus. God, I pray that we would leave here changed and refreshed from being in your presence and being among family. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: pastors here. If you're a guest at Restoration Church, welcome. We're really glad to meet you, to see you, to get to know you. If you came in the door, make sure you grab you a guest bag. It's our little gift to you. Uh, we're in the middle of a series that we are, we called United. It's a series about uh, Ephesians. It's looking through the entire book of Ephesians and how we were once dead in sin. Christ made us alive and he united us with himself. Um, he put us into the heavenly places. He put Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, and he put us in him. Right? And that in Christ, our life is drastically different. In Christ, everything changes. And that not only did he unite us with himself, but he also then united us with one another. Right? That he tore down the dividing wall uh, of the temple and said that there's no such thing as racial lines anymore. There are no such thing as divisions of men and women. Like, we are united together. We are one body being built together as living stones into a holy temple of God. And we've learned all this theology about it. And then last week, we kind of started in the practicality of it. And I'm going to read. Ephesians 5.1, it says, Therefore, because of all these things that God has done, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? So because we are different in what Christ has done, in his obedience and his, his sacrifice on the cross, his conquering the grave, because he has placed us in the heavenly places, he has given us amazing, unfettered access to the king of all kings. Because of that, we're to live differently. Something's supposed to be different about us. We talked a couple weeks ago about how we always want to go back to the flesh, right? And we have to put off the old and put on the new because there's something different. Be imitators of God as, of God as beloved children. And then we keep on going through that text. And it says, wake up. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. And then to give thanks in all things and to encourage one another with songs and melodies and hymns and to Mutually submit to one another, right? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And that's where we're at today. And last week we talked about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What, is it, what does it look like to be an imitator of God, filled with the Holy Spirit? And how does that practically work itself out in the rest of our lives? And so before we get going into that, I'll tell you a little story and give you a little background. The other day I was home with Zach and Caleb, right? And we were sitting outside and they were all bundled in their coats having a good time. And Zach and Caleb have one tricycle, right, and they have this little four-wheel thing that used to have buttons you push, you know, and it made noise and everything. And you move it with your feet, you know what I'm talking about, little plastic toys. So Caleb's on the little plastic one, and he's in the driveway, and Zach's in the road. He's coming down the hill. And I look at Caleb, and Caleb is, is, is doing physics in his brain, right? He's calculating geometry and ridiculous high-level math. I can tell because his eyes are like, he's tuned in. And he's calculating wind speed, velocity, you know, how much he's going how much power he's gonna have to come out of his legs, at what angle he's gonna have to go to hit Zach right in the wheel of that tricycle as he drives by. You can just see it in his brain, right? And he and he and he's kind of you know back and forth, not not yet, not yet. And he starts to go. And Zach's coming down. And and boom, he crashes right into him. And they crash all the time. They love doing this. This is a game, they're boys, right? And so Zach, being Zach, over dramatic, says, Aah! Right, and he starts wiggling the handles of the thing and then all of a sudden he gets knocked off center, His bounced and he tips over right, and the the bicycle tips over on him too and he he sits there and he thinks okay, do I kill my brother? do I just forget this tricycle thing I just throw it in the woods, I'm done with this I, I fell off, I'm done do I get up, I dust myself off, I get back on the tricycle and we try this again and guess what he did he looked at me and he dusted himself off, and he got back on the But he was thinking about going and punching his brother. I know he was. He was like, I'm, I'm going to get that kid back. And so the rest of the time, he was just running into him, and, and it was fun. They were playing crash. Today, God's word might knock you off center. Right? What we're going to talk about is sensitive, Right? especially in our culture. It's sensitive. It might knock you off a little bit, and you're going to have a decision. If you fall off your tricycle today of faith, you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to get back on? And continue with the Lord, or am I going to give up? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just going to make my own decisions, right? There, There's purpose in this text. We're, go, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. We're going to start in 22. We're going to go all the way to 6.9. A lot of text. We're going to hit every word. We're going to hit the big concepts. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, on your phones, whatever, Ephesians 5.22. We're starting. There's purpose in this text. And the purpose is that whether you are single or whether you are married, whether you are a, parent or child, whether you're an employer or an employer, no matter what the scenario is, in all of your relations, the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being brought into the Christ-likeness, having Christ put in us and us in Christ, is to make us more like himself. Right? God's overarching purpose is to make us more Christ-like. It doesn't matter what your scenario is, what your relationship to other people is, you are in that relationship to make you more like Christ. Secondly, since we are united with God, since we are being called to be like him, we have to say that it can be hard to do so. Right? Sometimes we're going to come to God's word and we're going to be offended. We're going to be rubbed the wrong way. We're going to be knocked way off center. Right, scrape our hands up, bust up our knees, but we're going to be knocked off. It's going to, we're going to be offended. And trust me, you're not the first person to be offended by the word of God. Right? It's been around for a really long time. It is a mutually, it's an equal opportunity offender, right? It offends all cultures. It speaks to all people groups, men and women, all countries. It it just, it offends people because it's truth. And the truth offends. But here's the cool news, it's endured. So even though it's offended and cultures have tried to destroy it and take it out, it's endured. And so we, when we come to the word and we get knocked off center, we have to make a decision as disciples. We have to say, well that's outdated, that's for that time, it doesn't apply today, it's beyond, it, 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 you know, that was, that was back there in their culture, but our culture has evolved beyond God's word. We can, we can say that, right? Or we can look at the word and say, it's God's word, it's for our good, it's for his glory, and when something runs me the wrong way, he's right and I'm wrong. Those are the two approaches. God, I know your word better than you, and I'm telling you what it means. Or, wow, you just offended me, and I need to adjust my life to align with what you've said. I would say it bodes well for the disciples to take the second approach. Okay? And third, well, you know what? I'll order, say, that a good joke every once in a while keeps people awake, and you're all starting to fall asleep, because I just talked about being offended, so some of you just went, click, I'm off, I'm done, I don't want to listen to this, right? There we go, ready? knock. Knock. Cow. I messed that up. Hold on, I messed that up. Okay. Why'd you interrupt me? I'm scared. All right. Knock, knock. To. No, to whom? To whom? Okay. Knock, knock. Interrupting cow. MOO! All right. I got booed. Wow. All right. I was right. I got booed. That's it. Hey, we like knock-knock jokes, right? Why do you like knock-knock jokes? Because it's a predictable pattern, right? You know what's coming. You know what's next. You know what to say. When somebody says knock-knock, you say, who's there, right? You know it. Well, guess what? The text that we're going to talk about today is a predictable pattern for the readers of the the letter to Ephesus, right? The book of Ephesians. People expected this next section to come, right? When, When Paul writes, be an imitator of God and submit to one another in the fear of God, and the fear of Christ, they thought, well, how do we do that? And so Paul uses the most common explanation of how to practically apply being filled with the Spirit and being an imitator of God through something called the household code. That's what this is. Everybody's got one, right? Have you ever heard, this even applies today, right? It's not even beyond our culture, Ready? Right? Have you ever heard this? As long as you live in my house, you will live by my rules. Right? You've heard it. You live in my house. Live. Everybody has a household code. Everybody has rules and expectations of how we're supposed to relate to one another. How husbands and wives are supposed to relate to one another. How children and parents are supposed to... How you honor the elders in your family. Who sits where at the dinner table at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, right? You, you know these things. They're just, they might be written, they might be spoken, but it goes all the way back to Aristotle. There were household codes. The household code we're going to talk about today is a little different, and it's a little different than this. Back in the day, you only wrote the code for the people of authority, right? The kings had a household code. The husbands had a household code. The masters of the slaves had a household code. And you only talked to the people of authority. But Paul did something different. Paul spoke to the lowest, most marginalized people of society because he saw the value of them as living stones being built together in the kingdom of God. as a dwelling place of the Father. So he speaks to women. He addresses them first. He addresses the low before he addresses the high in society. Because what he's saying, in essence, we, we come to this text and we'll look at it and we'll say, Well, this is offensive. This, this puts down this group or this slavery is wrong. And it's, it, This is the go-to text for anybody who wants to deny scripture. Right? It talks about submission of women. Masters and slaves, fathers and children, right? If you want to be offended, you go to this text and you say, this is outdated, God's word is is for the past, it's not for today. But by even mentioning women, children, and slaves in his household code, he is acknowledging their value. He's elevating them to an equal place as husbands and fathers and masters. So we're going to get into this text and we're going to have to look through this lens we got to get the background, right? It's expected. It's coming. This is a practical application of the first part of chapter 5. It is the practical application of all the theology of chapters 1 through 4 and putting off and putting on. And it just comes to very simple application. How does this work in your home? What's the household code? So, you got your Bibles ready? Let's read it, okay? Okay. <coughs> Matter of fact, let's pray first. God, prepare our hearts to be knocked off center today. Will you give us eyes to see? Will you give us ears to hear? Spirit, knock us off our tricycles. Adjust our hearts to your will through the proclamation of God's word. Be lifted high. Lead us to submit ourselves to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to you, King Jesus and we fearfully pray this. Amen. All right. Verse 22. Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church; he himself being the savior of the body. But as for the church, uh, but as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of one body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great and I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and wives must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay, stop there. Context is everything. Anything out of context is the pretext to teach anything, right? So let me give you a little little Greek study here. There's no verb in verse 22. There's no verb, right? You have to go back to verse 21 to understand what verse 22 talks about. The word submit or subject is not in verse 22 it's dependent out of the Greek structure it's dependent on verse 21 so to set up the whole conversation about wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving wives you've got to go back to verse 21 that says be subject to one another as to the Lord as to the Lord meaning as a service to the Lord what does submit mean well it's a military term it's, a, it's, a, it's the, the, the willful decision of someone to put themselves under someone else's authority, right? But it's a better way to think about this is it's a willful submission of your own agenda for a greater good, right? Think about it. A private in the military can't go into a battle and make all his own decisions, right? They can't, they can't go in and decide, well, I'd rather take this hill or I want to shoot this gun or I want to go over here and, and, and do this mission. No, they submit their own personal agenda to their sergeants, and to their captains, and to their generals, and ultimately to the commander-in-chief, right? It doesn't work if everyone's doing their own thing on the backside. So you have to lay down your own agenda for the good of something else. This is a hard thing for us to do in this world. To think of others is more important than ourselves. To model and be imitators of Christ. It's voluntary. It's voluntary. Both husbands and wives in this text are commanded to submit to one another, right? Because you got verse 21. So the rest of this text, this application comes out of verse 21. Be subject to one another in fear of the Lord. Both husbands and wives. Wives, they're, they're both commanded to submit, but they're both commanded to submit in very different ways. We can't deny that. You can't reject that it says wives be subject to your husbands or husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. They're two totally different things. They're not the same, but... the the heart behind it is being subject to one another. Men, women are called to submit to their husband's headship, their leadership position. Men are called to submit to their wives because of their leadership position, because of their headship. The man is told to submit his wife in verse 21 by functioning as Christ did to the church, via sacrificial love, laying down his life for her, his agenda, his social position of authority, Laying that down for the good of her. That is, that is what loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And the word love comes from the idea of seeking the highest good for someone. Seeking the highest good. But the woman is commanded to be subject to the position of headship of the man. Right? So what does head mean? Right? Is it, what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? As, as the husband is the head of the, of the wife, so Christ is the head of the church. Um, Sorry, as Christ, so the husband is the head of the wife. Head can mean two things, right? It can mean source or it can mean authority. Source or authority. In this text, it means both, right? And the reason we know that is because we're going to go flip back to Genesis 2. All right, everybody hold your face, your place on Ephesians 5 and flip back to Genesis 2. Why are we going to flip back to Genesis 2? Because Paul does, right? He goes all the way back to Genesis 2. When he starts talking about nourishing and caring and leaving and cleaving. He's going back to the original concept of what marriage looks like. I hated English literature. Anybody else hate English literature? Cool, just me and Keith. <laughs> OK, let me tell you why I hated it. This is why I hated it. Because we would read the, the most beautiful, well-thought-out poems on the face of the planet, right? I hated poetry. Because this is what every time your teacher presents you with a poem, what's the first thing they ask you? What does this mean? And then you give your answer and be like, no, that's not right. And then somebody else would give a different answer and they'd be like, no, that's not right. And then somebody else would give an answer and they'd be like, yes, that's correct. But it had nothing to do with what the poem said. I hated it. I failed every quiz on the face of the planet. And I thought, you know, why don't we just ask the author what it means? Right? Because when they walk in the room, conversation's over. They wrote the poem. They were both the source and the authority. Right? same thing here, source and authority. Go back to Genesis 2. God created man, right? And he gave him a job, and, and, he, and he, he told him to, to keep and to cultivate the garden. And then, he, and then he presented animals to him, and he said, name all the animals. He, he gave the authority of naming to the man. He gave him a position of leadership, right? He... he Imputed some of his authority onto the man and gave him the, the authority to name the animals. God could have name the animals. He wasn't too tired to name of the animals. He was setting up leadership in the world. Right? So he said, name, name the animals. And then the man named all the animals, and the man was like, it's kind of a bummer. And God was like, This is not good. Because there's no one like you. There's not a single person on the face planet like you. And you're missing something. And if you go back to Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 in the beginning, or Genesis 1, God made man both male and female in his image, right? So then we, we, so that's the big picture. God made man and woman in his image and in his likeness. He endowed them with certain characteristics that were both equal but different, right? And then, and then you see the smaller picture of how that happened. He created man. He gave him a job. Then he saw it wasn't good, and he said, this is not good. After every single day, he said, and it was good until he saw that man was alone. So he put man to sleep took a rib out, made a woman, he put her, brought her to him, right, and, and then he broke out into poetry, right, and uh, as JD said in one of his sermons, that's not all he said, right, <laughs> I mean, like, it, there's no way that what is recorded in Genesis 2 is all the man said, this is the first time the most perfect woman on the face of the planet presented presented him butt naked, he's not only saying, his bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, you know, like, but it's a PG-13 version of the scripture, so God didn't include it, um, he presents woman to him as a helper, right? There, but but he made man first, and he gave man a position of leadership, headship, source, right? Man is both the source of the of woman, and has an authority position over woman because God designed it this way. I know you're like, there's something in you, but just let me go with, you, okay? Five leadership responsibilities God gave man in Genesis 2. You ready? First, provision. He had given him a job. Before he was even on the, on the stage, he had a job. Keep and cultivate, name. Right? Do something. Had authority. It's given to you. Do the job. Be a provider. Right? Be ready. And then I'm going to give you a helper. And you're responsible for providing. Spiritual leadership. He had given him commands. He had given the man commands before a woman ever entered the, entered the world, according to Genesis, right? And what was the command? Out of all the trees of the garden you can eat, except for one. Don't eat of the tree of good and evil, and the knowledge of good and evil. He had given a command. And then Eve is presented to him. And guess who responsibility it was to share the commands of God with his wife? Adam's. So guess why all of humanity fell into sin? Adam failed to lead his wife spiritually. Adam failed to communicate to her the danger of that tree. And then he stood by and he watched her fall into it. So stop blaming the fall of humanity on women and apples. It's the man's fault. He was given the position of spiritual leadership. Romance. Men are supposed to lead in romance. Right? I mean, the the first word spoken when the two are brought together is a poem of love. Right? It's an expression of God's love for her. Men are supposed to lead in that. Protection. He says, therefore, a man shall leave and cleave to his wife. They shall be, the two shall become one flesh. Right? There's some, and then in Ephesians, you go back to Ephesians, it says, no one hates their own flesh, but they nourish it. And they protect it. And they cherish it. This is a position of leadership given to men for, over women. Not over, but for women. And then you go back to Ephesians 5, and you see the fifth area of leadership given to man, and that's self-sacrifice. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for her. Lay down your agenda for her good. Lead her in that. You can't expect your wife to follow these positions of leadership unless you're willing to lay down your own agenda to support her and and do what's for her good. Genesis 2 gives the title to the woman as helper. Sometimes we, we like to say, oh, helper. Great. So it's basically a servant or a slave. No, there are different words in Hebrew. Helper is Etzer. Right? And you know where the, the most of the times the word helper in Etzer is used in the Hebrew, in, in in the Hebrew Bible? It's referring to God. It's not referring to people, it's referring to God. So what, what he's saying is, she is an expression of my help and my my completing you Adam you're missing something you're incomplete without me I made man and woman in my image I endowed each with specific characteristics of who I am and when you were alone it wasn't good you were missing something you were incomplete so I have sent an example of myself into your life to complete you to fill you to overcome your weaknesses to bring glory to myself and display who I am to the world We know that God did not make man or woman less than man, right? The, the whole Jewish philosophy or the Jewish rabbis, they all say, you know, he didn't take a bone from the foot as, with, as if he should stamp over her or rule over her. She didn't take the bone from the head as if she should rule over him, but from the side where a partner would stand. That's kind of the Jewish tradition there. Why a rib? Because they were partners. They were equal but different. And it should be celebrated, right? The differences between men and women should be celebrated. Not, we know they're different, right? We know men and women are different. We know how men think. Men think in compartmentalization, right? We, we, we pick little sections and nothing touches each other, right? Women think like a pile of spaghetti. Everything's connected to everything, right? I mean, this, this emotion over here six months ago connects with the emotion that I'm having right now, which was probably resulted of something you said three weeks ago that leads to something that you'll do next week. And you're like, what happened six months ago, right? I mean, we, we, we think differently, There are studies that infants, before society has ever had a chance to to ruin the brain of a little girl or a little boy, right? Like, they approach problems differently. They think differently. You put a wall of blocks in front of a girl. What does she do? She goes around it. Put it in front of a boy. What do they do? Ah! I mean, they just jump on it and they break it, right? We think differently. We process things differently. Which one's better? Neither. They are a fuller expression of who God is together than they are by themselves. They're equal but different. We know they're different because not only were they, were they made differently and created differently and given different positions in their relationship, in their marriage, they were cursed differently. They were cursed differently, right? Men were given the, the curse of their work would now be toilsome, right? And not only and so when it becomes toilsome, what do men want to do? We want to conquer it. Right? And so, what do we do? We bury our identities into it. And we sin against our families and our children and our wives. And we, and we find our identity in our work because our, the curse of sin has warped our brains to think that we've got to conquer the world. No longer will the earth just give its food, we're going to have to take it. And women were cursed differently. Women were cursed that their desire would be for their husband. What does that mean? It's two different things. One could one be their desire could be so for a man to complete them or to fulfill them that they become codependent or they become subservient to and therefore allow themselves to be abused. That's one concept. The other one is they could want to rule over their husband, and it will constant, their, their desire will be for their husband. Their husband is given the position of leadership. Their desire will be to rule over their husband, so it causes conflict. Two different commentators, two different perspectives of what it means for your desire. But this, the simple fact is the curse is different. They weren't cursed the same because they're different. So God designed equal image bearers and decided the roles of leadership and helper, and then sin corrupted those roles. Therefore, we have to understand that in Ephesians 5, Paul leaves the application in your marriage up to you. No, there are no specifics right? It doesn't say what it means for wives to be subject to their own husbands as is to the Lord. It doesn't say what it means for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's broad. It's a concept, right? And I can't give you how that applies to your marriage or how it will apply to your future marriage if you're single. But I can tell you this, the word of God presented you with a cake and you get to decorate it. You get to figure it out. You get to find the application, you get to find out how you can adjust your heart to follow the leadership of your husband, wives. Husbands, you get to find out the different ways you get to sacrifice your own agenda to lift up and help your wife and do what's good for her. You get to figure that out. That's the beauty of it. And you know what? As you do that, you know what you're doing? You're imitating God. Right? Because that's what the first, one, first verse in chapter 5 is. Be imitator of God. As children of the Lord. Be imitators. And then submit to one another in fear of the Lord, in fear of Christ. This is mutual submission. If you love your wife, as like Christ loved the church. wives, If you sub- be subject to the leadership of your husbands, that is mutual submission. Let me, let me give you a couple things that submission does not mean. Okay? Um, this, this is kind of a direct... To our culture, this is where it rubs you all. So if you're just a little ticked off right now or you're like, eh, I don't really want to listen to this, listen to this, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to calm your heart. Okay, This is what submission does not mean. It does not mean the inferiority of women. Right? Everything in Genesis 2 screams equality between man and woman. It does not say you're a subservient class of humanity if you're a woman. Right? It screams equality. God made them in his image and in his likeness. He called her helper, not slave, not servant, called her helper and then brought them together and through the two of them, the two shall leave and become one flesh, which is an expression of the gospel and the trinity. Right? So everything screams equality in the way that God designed man and woman. So when then sin happened and we messed it up throughout cultures and we made it that women are less than men. That's not what submission means. That's not what being subject to one another means. It doesn't mean the dominance of men. She's not your servant. She's your helper. Notice the command in in Ephesians is for the man to lay down his life for her, not the other way around. Use whatever power you have to benefit your wife. A man should always be asking this question. How can I serve you? Not how can you serve me? Right? That's what we should be asking. In a position of headship, as Christ is at the church, we should be asking how can I serve you? subjection or submission does not mean unconditional obedience to a man. And it doesn't mean unconditional obedience to your husband. Right? Because what does it say? Be subject to your own husband, this is very specific, as to the Lord. It does not say, as if he were the Lord. Right? So if, God, if your husband is calling you to do something that's unbiblical or immoral or illegal, you stand against it. You don't subject to that. If your husband is abusing you, you do not subject yourself to that. He's in sin against you. You move beyond that. You stand up and you move beyond it. It does not mean unconditional obedience to a man or to your husband. Listen, it does say your husband, right? It doesn't mean you subject yourselves to all men. You subject yourself to your husband. There's a specific concept here that th- this, is, this is the design of marriage not the design of culture right so this this is why you you get away from it means the inferiority of women and the dominance of men it's your husband this is a this is a, this is how you live out imi- being imitators of God and God's grace putting off the old putting on the new submitting one mutually to one another in your marriage God is ultimately the the authority we must answer to as to the Lord he's the ultimate authority not your husband does not mean independent decision making on the part of the man. Because men and women think differently about things, it would be very wise for men to go to their wives before making decisions and ask them what they think. Right? I can tell you many times I've made a decision and it was a bad decision. And if I would have asked Rebecca, what do you think? Life would have been a lot better. Right? I mean, she thinks sensitively about things. She thinks about the complexity of things, and how this interlocks with this, and how this will make this person feel, which could make this person feel this way, which could lead to this kind of decision, which would lead to destruction of this relationship, and I'm like, I, I just wanted to buy a box of Cheerios, you know, it's like, I mean, she, she thinks so much broader than I do, so I shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm the head of the house, so therefore, I should just go make the decision, so she should get on board with where I'm going, that's, that's not loving her like Christ loved the church. Right, And that, that's not being subject to me in fear, as, as to the Lord. There's a mutual submission. I need to value the way that God made her differently than me and pursue her in that and ask her her opinion and make decisions together with her. Number five, women should not have the highest leadership positions in business or politics. Being subject to your own husband does not mean that. Right? There are only two places where this applies. This idea of women and men having different leadership roles in the home and in the church. It's the only place the text addresses it. It does not mean that women can't be the president of the United States or your senator or your boss. It doesn't mean that women can't go out and get a better paying job than you. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that women can't be the leaders in industry and in thought and in universities. like. You go back to the 1950s and women are going to stay home and take care of the kids, right? The text does not say that. The text is very specific in not saying that because as we get into 6-9, guess whose responsibility is to raise children in the fear of the Lord? Fathers. And if fathers are always gone and it's responsibility of women to stay home, they can't do their job. So you can't apply this idea of being subject to your own husband as to the Lord or leading your wife as Christ loved the church to your business relationships. You can't apply it to politics or social structures. It only applies in your home and in the church. It's the only place that God set up safeguards to protect it and to do it well. Lastly, submission is not something to be demanded by your husband. It's not a demand of us towards you. Right? It's a command from your father. If you look at verse 21, I mean 22, guess who... Guess who's not in there? Men. Wise be subject to your own husband as the fear of the Lord. Just as Christ. Well, we'll go back and read it because I'm about to mess that up. Something fierce. Wise be subject to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Men, stay out of her verse. It's not for you. Right? You don't get to come in and demand submission, God is commanding submission. The way she submits to your leadership is between her and God. You stay out of it. If you're having problems in your marriage and you wish your wife would submit to your leadership, why don't you go to your other eight verses that talk about how you should love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You work on that and see if things don't change. You've got to stay out of that. It's not for us to demand. We love. They follow our headship because we're loving well. We don't love them because they submit to us. Get it, Daz? Yes? We got that? Sweet. Moving forward. This is what submission does mean. Okay? This is the one thing submission does mean. In a split decision, the man makes the final decision. Okay? Because he was given a position of leadership, he will bear the responsibility of the bad decisions. Right? That's what it means. It means you vote together, and if you can't come to consensus, he makes the call because he's going to be held accountable for it. Which means, if you do it well, and you love your wife, and you consider her needs as more important than yourself, and you love her like Christ loved the church, it's going to be a good decision, right? But, if you do it out of selfishness, be prepared to be judged for it, right? You're going to bear the judgment of it. You're going to bear the consequences of it. What it means is that if you're having problems with your family, don't, don't bail on your responsibility and blame it on your wife, well, we, we can't come to Christmas this year because, you know, she don't want to do it. No. you can't come to Christmas this year because you decided not to go to Christmas and to go to her family. So stop blaming it on your wife. Well, sorry, boss, you know, I can't, I can't come in late Saturday because, you know, my wife, you know, she won't let me do it. No. I can't come in Saturday because I have to love my family. Make a decision and stand by it. In a split decision... It's, it's your responsibility, and you're going you're gonna to face the brunt of the bad decisions, and she's going to get the glory for all the good ones. So just get on board with that, all right? Let's be honest. The household code continues. Guys, honor your wives and other women in your lives. Lay down your life for your wife. Consider her as more important than yourselves. Be willing to lay down your personal agendas for her good and God's glory. In this, you will display the gospel of Jesus. Wives, respect the God given responsibility of leadership that your husband carries. Do not be his slave, but be his helper. Work together to display the full image of God through your marriage by submitting to your husband. Yeah, I'm out of time. That's the most controversial part. I'll just sum up the rest of it. It doesn't stop. There are two other areas of your life fathers and and children, right? Parents and kids there's another area, slaves and masters. Slavery is not the same way you think about it today. It was different in the time. It's really the word is bond slave. So it's a voluntary person in servitude. It's not people who have been ripped out of their homes and subjected to slavery, right? It's people who have, they, they've either in, been an indebted, they're an debtor and they were slaves. And then they realized they enjoyed serving that master because that master was good to them because he was living out the concepts of being an imitator of God. So they voluntarily subject themselves to further slavery, bond slaves, right? And and here's the thing. In all three relationships, because I don't have time to expand on it, sorry, Um, whether it's the fathers to children, husbands to wives, slaves to masters, masters to slaves, the earthly relationship is not the focus. In each one, there's these caveats as to the Lord, as Christ loved the church, in the fear of the Lord. Slaves, serve your masters as if you were serving the Lord. Masters, so love your slaves and don't, don't threaten them because you have a bigger master. You have a greater master. The call of submission is ultimately, the whole design of all these relationships is ultimately to teach us to submit to him. To submit to him. It's to look past this earthly, past the weeds of social scratches and offense and look beyond these, these world relationships we're called to and look to the ultimate authority of Christ in our life. And husbands learn to submit to Christ by laying down their lives for their wives. Wives learn and, and practice submission to God by submitting to the leadership of their husbands. Children submit to their parents and their leadership, and they learn what it is to submit to authority. And then they carry that, what they learn, and the fear and the instruction of the Lord, they carry that on and on and on and on into school and into work and into their marriages. They learn what it means to be submissive to an authority, ultimately teaching them to submit to the Father, their ultimate Father. Slaves, don't submit to a master. The best way to think about this is your work, right? You don't submit to your boss. You're, you're working for the glory of God. No matter where you work, don't work there. Work, you can work there, but work for Him. Right? Do everything you can because the way you work, the effort you put in, all, all that you lay down is an expression of the goodness of God in your life. If you're a lazy employee, you're a bad gospel witness. If you're a good employee, you're a good gospel witness. Because you're submitting ultimately to a higher authority. You're saying, I'm going to do what's good for this company even though it might not be good for me because God's called me to live for the benefit of others. We've got to look past the offense of what is in this text and see the greater picture. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to the Father. And we do that by verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your text is solid. Um, Spent a lot of time in the marriage thing, but this this concept of submission to you through our relationships, it applies to single people. It applies to people who are dating. It applies to kids. It applies to adults. It applies to grandparents. Father, will you help us learn to submit ourselves to one another?
1: Yes,
2: come To do... Three things, to value the differences that God, that you place in each gender, to practice servant leadership in our homes and in our community, and accept that we are not ultimately the authority of our own lives, but you are. Teach us that, Father. Will you grow us in that? Will you increase the happiness and the love in our marriages as we imitate you and submit to one another in the ways that you've called us to specifically. Father, will you increase the happiness and the love of our relationships with our children as we do not tempt them towards anger, but they listen to our leadership and we begin to live in peace, Lord, as we do what you've called us to. Father, as we work in this world, as we go off to our bosses, will you help us be good gospel witnesses by submitting to a greater good, by laying down our lives, by being subject to one another. In the fear of Christ. Speak your words. Glorify your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
0: You guys can stand. We're going to sing a couple more songs before we go out.
3: Um, to celebrate uh, Jesus, to celebrate the season, uh, it's really an honor to have you here. If you are a guest, uh, the one the one thing we'd love for you to do is just let us know you were here, uh, so that we can send you some information about Restoration Church, and we can just share with you that we uh, that we love you and we're glad you're here. Um, if you text hello RC, uh, capital H, capital RC, uh, no spaces to three one three one three one. Uh, that'll allow us to send you a quick text, and then you can fill out some information that allows us to know you were here. Additionally, there is a hello card uh, available to you at our first guest uh, tent, first-time guest tent, not tent. There is no tent today. Table out to the right there. So if you don't mind, just letting you know you were letting us know you were here, and then you can drop that in the box that says "Give" in the back uh, before you leave. We don't want you to feel like any obligation to give uh, financially today, uh, but we would love to have that information that you were here. And if you are a part of the Vision and Mission Restoration Church or one of our members or you've been coming for a while, uh, do know that there's an opportunity for you to give on your way out uh, there as well. A couple of things for you to be aware of. Um, I want to remind everyone about missional communities, the two missional communities that we have currently. uh, One is focusing on serving uh, Taiwanese graduate students. And uh, the other one is focusing uh, currently on uh, those who are um, in poverty uh, in the Durham area. Uh, both of those two are meeting at different times. If you'd love to know more about those, uh, connect with uh, Rebecca Gatlin. She'll be at the next, Rebecca, you over here? She is, there's her hand right there. She'll be at the next steps table back to the left. Uh, connect with her after this is over. It is a way for us to impact our city and to truly live like a family. You're, the Bible says that as followers of Christ, we're, we should be a family. Uh, it doesn't make you a family when you all stare at the same place for an hour up here. This doesn't make you a family. It's not what families do. Families get together and they hang out and they take care of each other. So uh, make sure you're engaged in a family at Restoration Church as a follower of Jesus. Last thing I want you to be aware of is this guy right here. Not a sign. It's a good sign, But uh, be aware of the fact we're doing the Blue Note Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Um, Invite your friends. Invite people that you know. Invite your neighbors. We just want to serve the city, serve the community. Have a time of celebration and worship of who Christ is and uh, what the Christmas season means to us uh, from 6 to 7 that night. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to have a, we're going to be dismissed for a couple minutes. Uh, what we lo- do enjoy doing here at Restoration Church is coming back together after a couple minutes and discussing the text. So I uh, would love to invite anyone who would enjoy doing so to come back in the next two or three minutes to uh, to discuss what we just heard. And uh, and other than that, everyone will be dismissed here in a moment. Father, you are awesome. Uh, we're so glad that you give us such clear instructions in your Word. Thank you that you don't just tell us what we want to hear. Um, tell, thank you that you don't uh, leave us like we are. Um, that we that we get to be challenged by truth, that we get to be taught by truth. I pray that we would uh, not hear today's text in any other way than a challenge to follow you and obey you in the areas of our lives that are most, uh, sometimes most uncomfortable. Um, help us do that well. Uh, help us think of you as good enough to worship you and obey you even in the toughest areas of our life. Thank you so much for what the season that we're entering means, that you uh, we're willing to set aside all your glory and all your titles and all your prestige and, and humble yourself and become like us so that you could take us out of the suffering that we experience and uh, bring us into your glory. Bring us in your family. Uh, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray.